Well, listen, one of the greatest ways you can grow in Christ-like character, conduct, and convictions is by reading the Bible, engaging the Bible on a weekly basis, if not daily basis. It's amazing how your life can be transformed one scripture at a time when you eat the bread, when you take in and digest the word of God. And if you've never started, I encourage you, start small, start somewhere. If you've ever had a goal, if you, I wish I could read like a book of the Bible. There's 66 books written by 40 different authors in three different languages over the course of 1,500 years on, five, on, on three different continents. It's a beautiful, incredible book that is centrally unified with all of those different languages, all those different authors. They don't step on each other's toes. There's this unification. It is a beautiful book. You ought to read it. It is a foundation for living. But if you ever wanted to read a book in the Bible, I'm gonna give you an easy one. Jude, the book Jude. You're like, is that a song or no, it's a book, it's a book. It's tucked away all the way toward the end. Right before the book of Revelation is the book of Jude. Here's why, it's one chapter. It's like 20, 23, 24 verses. You can read it in, in three minutes while you're waiting. Don't read it while you're driving in the car, but you can go sit in the car, let it cool off or let the car cool off, then sit in it, then read your Jew before you even leave the parking lot and you will have read a book of the Bible today. You're welcome, Timber Creek. Now, when it comes to Jude, I was reading a few weeks ago this simple passage and something just struck me. And I had intended going a different direction today, but because of the words of Jude, I felt like a prompting of the Holy Spirit to shift. And you'll see why in, in, in just a second. Jude, the first chapter and the only chapter, here's what Jude says. Dearly loved friend. And I want you to know that what we're gonna talk about today comes from a dearly loved friend. You're my friend. I wanna be your friend and you are loved. Dearly loved friend, I was fully intending to write to you about our amazing salvation we all participate in. I want you to know that when you come to Timber Creek Church, you're gonna experience the good news of Jesus Christ we're gonna use all kinds of different methodologies. We are not married to methodologies. We date our methods, but we're married to the mission of good news of Jesus. Your God-given potential is our mission and we are married to that mission. And the only way to know God's given potential is to know what God says your potential is. And we find that in his word. I was fully intended to, to, to talk today about something else, but, that's a big old but. <laughs> but, as I was reading this, I had intended, I had already written a message on week five of Out of the Shadows. We were gonna do a different, different sermon today to conclude the series Out of the Shadows. But I just couldn't get away from something that's been on my heart for a while and I know that probably you've been experiencing it too. Jude says, I intended to go this direction. He had sat down at his table. He had placed the parchment. He had gotten the quill and dipped it in the ink and something said, go a different direction. As a matter of fact, on Tuesday of this last week, just five days ago, I, 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 I try to preach the sermon to a small group of people on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Because I, I crave feedback. I wanna get better and I wanna get clear and I wanna make sure. And so I try to be prepared in advance, listening to the Holy Spirit in advance and, and seeking the Holy Spirit in advance. And Tuesday at four, I, I preached a whole different message. And on Wednesday, another prompting came and said, do something different, do something different. So this is the third iteration. I'm trying, I don't know. I may, I, who knows what we'll do. I may preach something else I don't even intend to today. I don't know, we'll see. But here, here, I can so resonate with the words of Jude here, but I felt the need instead to 
challenge you. I want to challenge me and I want to challenge you today. So let's dive in. If you're taking notes in the worship guide, you can follow along with some fill in the blanks. Um, or on our Timber Creek app digitally. You can fill them right in, email them to yourself. It's great to have that then. But let's jump right in. Are you ready, everybody? At Timber Creek Church, at Timber Creek, this may not be true for all churches, but at Timber Creek Church, I want you to know we are liberal in our diversity. We are liberal in our diversity. In Thanksgiving, I am liberal in my Thanksgiving meal. I do not keep my plate just turkey and green beans. I am liberal. I am wide open for whatever the hands have prepared for me thine day. The smorgasbord that is laying at thy table, sweet host of hosts. We are liberal in our diversity like I'm liberal at Thanksgiving. And here's what I mean by Timber Creek Church being liberal in their diversity. We are liberal generationally. We have young and old and everybody in between. We have goo-goo-ga-ga babies and we have grandpa-grannies. We've got both and we got people right in between. Under the hill, over the hill, who knows what the hill. (laughs) Ooh, that didn't sound right, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Accidental right there, but I will probably use it again. That was funny. We are, we are diverse generationally. We're not a church that's just after keeping things the way they were. We, are, we want more for the next generation. What grandpa and grandma are worth their salt that don't wanna see their kids and their grandkids grow up to do more and see more great things that God does in their life and through their life. Can I, can I get an amen, anybody? Like at all locations, like we want more for the next generation, but we value all generations here at Timber Creek. But if we don't have a focus on reaching the next generation, we will get older every single day without even trying. And so at some point we get older and we get older, we get older, we get older and we put a for sale sign in front of our buildings and we shut down because the older you get, the closer you are to dying. But as we grow strategically getting younger, we are passing the baton of the word of truth to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Some of us grew up where the pastor wore a suit and you're growing up with a pastor that wears tennis shoes and who knows, the, you know, our babies might grow up where everybody's wearing, you know, like the, the silver jumpsuit with a black V, you know, like, hmm, greetings. I don't know what we're going to be doing in a few years from now, but generationally we're diverse and we celebrate that. Racially we're diverse. You know, we don't, we don't want to, uh, we don't want to be uh, 25% this race or culture, 25% this race or culture, 25% this race. We want to look like the community. Hey, hey, if the community was 98% white, we would want to be 98% white. There's nothing wrong, like, like if 2%, but we would not want to miss out on the 2%. This community is not 98% white and the church shouldn't be 98% white. Guess what? Heaven ain't gonna be 98% white. In fact, it ain't gonna be 50% white. It's probably not even gonna be 20% white, everybody. Heaven's gonna be incredibly diverse because The world is diverse and he loves the whole world. Aren't you thankful for a culturally and racially diverse church that meets people where they are, that loves people as they are? And and we want that to be more and more and more here. We're educationally diverse. Oh, thank God. 
Like my, I want my grandpa who, who, who is in heaven now, but if my grandpa were coming to church, he got an education up to 12 years old and then he, he, he worked the farm. That was just his responsibility. High school wasn't, wasn't his responsibility. Working in the fields was his responsibility. And, and we, have, we have those that that's been their experience. And we have others that have a PhD. We have, we've got PhDs and surgeons and 14-year-old freshmen in high school working on the same dream team. I love, I love the diversity of education. You don't have to be super smart to understand the sermons. I'm gonna bring the cookies to the bottom shelf. You don't have to climb up. I wanna make it easy. I don't want to try to sound like I don't make sense so that you can think that I'm smarter than I really am. I want it to make sense. Who cares what the Greek word is for rope? Most everybody just needs a rope thrown to them. That's what we need, okay? So I'm not gonna try and sound fun because I welcome and celebrate the educational diversity in our church. Can you give it up for educationally diverse church today? Hey, hey, here's another good one, bless God. We are financially diverse. We have those in our church that with a flick of the wrist could pay for an entire year of budget and not sweat it for a second. We do, we're thankful for that. And we have those that with a flick of the wrist are praying to God that that check won't bounce so they don't get evicted. We have both. I'm so thankful that this church is a church anyone can come to and you are welcome here and you don't get VIP seats because you give more. You are welcome in this place. Every seat matters. Empty seats are a big deal and we're glad you're here. Can you give it up for a church that Jesus wants it to look like? Hey, 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 we, 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 are, we are diverse politically. We're, we're politically diverse. And what this diversity means is we all have a vast collection of strongly held emotions, experiences, assumptions, and opinions. There is family culture. There is ethnicity culture. There is business culture. Every culture, every organization has a culture. So you have a family that has a culture and that family culture, when something tough would happen, your culture of your family would slide it under the rug. You would not talk about it. We don't talk about dad's issue. We don't talk about what happened in 1987. We don't talk about that nephew. We don't talk about that uncle. We, we, we push it under the, that's your family culture. Some family culture is every time there is an issue, we, we, we tear down walls and bust off doors to talk about it. Like, ah, for some, we sit in around, around a living room and we talk it out in love and in truth. Those are rare, but everybody has a culture, how we deal with it. Uh, some family culture, the way you deal with tough issues is you drink them away, medicate them away. Wash them away by focusing on other things. Every single one of us, it is absolutely okay to have a vast collection of strongly held emotions, experiences, assumptions, and opinions. But, you know, I just have come today with an assignment I believe so strongly in that I felt the need to challenge you. And 2,000 years ago, Jude was challenging 
some friends that were Christians. And here's how he challenged them. I'm challenging you to vigorously defend and contend for the beliefs that we cherish. I am inviting you to to vigorously defend and contend. Defense feels feels like this. What's coming to me? I'm ready. Contend. I'm pushing back against that. There's this there's this give and take. There's this defend and contend for the beliefs that we, ch- it, it, it is floating like a butterfly and stinging like, a, like Jesus. Um, there are beliefs that you and I cherish, feelings that we have that we hold strongly. Um, I, I, grew, I grew up in a family culture that had very strong beliefs that we cherished that really weren't biblical, but they were just beliefs that we cherished as a family. And over time, those beliefs, we all, even my mom and dad, realized that there was more space for grace than what we were giving in those particular things that we cherished. We, we actually, you know, it would probably, it would be okay if we went to a movie. The Smurfs are not a gateway drug to heroin. I know some of you don't even realize in strong conservative families, Smurfs were like, you might as, you might as well be a Satanist if you're watching the Smurfs. Harry, don't get me started on Harry Potter. Oh my God. Gateway drug to Ouija boards. There were things we cherished that even as a family, emotionally charged, experientially heavy assumptions and opinions. Here's the difference between assumptions and opinions. Assumptions is something you take and you say, oh, okay, okay. An opinion comes from research and considering and drilling in and talking it out and chewing on it to form an opinion. The problem is we've lost the art of building strong opinions and we're living on a ton of assumptions. A ton of just, if it was in my Facebook feed, it must have been true. If my generational group thinks it that way, that must be the only way. If my ethnic group, if this group that I consider myself a part in culturally thinks a certain way, it must be that way and no other way. And here, here's the deal. Jude is saying to those people, and I am saying to you, our deeply cherished beliefs are not those. Experiences and assumptions and opinions are not what we needed to vigorously defend and contend. But I am challenging you. Defend and contend the beliefs that we cherish. So if those aren't it, what, what are they? I'm so glad Jude doesn't stop there because he shows us what those truths, those beliefs should be. He says, for God, through the apostles, 
has once for all, and he's gonna say something in a minute, for God through the apostles once for all. In other words, he did it, it's not changing, it's solid. You can build everything on it, it's the foundation. Do not break away this foundation. This is the foundation for this generation, that generation, and every single generation that has existed, will exist, and is going to exist. For God through the apostles, what Jude is saying is, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit to the apostles that wrote down through the apostles, wrote the letters and the, the words of God, that is the Holy Scripture. When Jude says, for God through the apostles, he is speaking about the Holy Scripture. For God through the Holy Scripture, written by the apostles, has once for all entrusted these truths, the beliefs that we should cherish more than anything else, he has entrusted these truths. And here's the deal. He did not entrust them just with the apostles to put in a book that then when we have to face truths that are being questioned that we just throw a book at them. He has entrusted these truths to his holy believers. Those that have bowed a knee to Christ who wanna follow in his footsteps, you have been entrusted with the truths of the word of God that you must cherish and vigorously defend and contend. So at Timber Creek Church, we are liberal in our diversity, but we are conservative in our theology. Now, political anathema has hijacked the word liberal and conservative. Every time you hear the word liberal, progressive, you don't think of insurance, you think of something political. You don't think of flow. <laughs> progressive and conservative, hijacked, disrupted, taken over. Liberal and conservative by a political agenda, the political anathema. So what do I mean by liberal diversity? I mean a large, wide scope, liberal, wide scope, conservative very staunch, particular, certain guardrails that should, we keep them in this lane, don't do much change. And I want you to know that in our theology at Timber Creek Church, we are conservative in our theology. Now, let me unpack this today. We can get liberal in our theology where you can have churches down the street that would be more liberal in theology because they look at the word of God and they, they go like this. I don't know any, I'm not speaking about any particular church. But when we begin to say, no, this is really open, kind of what's for you, what's for me, I don't know who, what it's for. When we, when we take the Bible and we go like this, that becomes, that's, that's a liberal, that's a liberal theology. So here, here's how we get that. These words are kind of all intertwined in our lives. Psychology, philosophy, and theology. Every single one of them play an important role in our life. There is nothing, there is nothing inherently bad about understanding psychology, philosophy, and theology. But let me explain to you, you, know, you can write somewhere in your notes, here's what psychology is. Psychology is basically man's thoughts about himself. So you meet with a psychologist, 
we unpack, they're a counselor, they've got the degree in psychology, man's thoughts about himself. We unpack thoughts, we connect the dots, we rework our thinking, we work on some stuff, we do some deep work to think through, why am I thinking this way? Is that thought truth? Is that thought a lie? What am I gonna do with that thought? Do I need to sit with this thought? Psychology helps me think about me and my thoughts. Philosophy is man's thoughts about man's thoughts. So it's kind of, it's a little bit up here on meaning of life and, 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 and you know, larger, more ethereal things. Philosophy can have uh, man's thoughts about man's thoughts. And so we think, and then we investigate those, those thinkings. I can think any way and then investigate in any way. There's not really an anchor to it all. It's just philosophy. So you might have a different anchor of where you think about your thoughts and where you come from. I might have a different anchor about where I think about what my thoughts are. And when you have multiple anchors, you got people all across a lake of thoughts. Here's what theology is. Theology, and we're conservative in our theology, man's thoughts about God. Theology is the study of God and we get our theology, our study of God by man. It's man's thoughts about God. Now, here's where things get a little twisted. When our thoughts about God come from the epicenter about how we view ourselves in our own thoughts or how we view our thoughts about our thoughts based on everybody else's opinion, our theology gets twisted because our theology becomes, the foundation of it comes from the way I feel the way I think, the way I was raised, it comes out of those experiences, emotions, assumptions, and opinions. So all of a sudden, what happens when, when I begin to open up just making God in my image versus you are made in God's image, when I start making God in my image, God begins to look like the way I want him to look like. But if we're made in God's image, the whole purpose of life, this temporary physical journey is for us to look more and more like him. So how do we do that? Well, you can't anchor just to a psychological deal or a philosophical deal. Your theology is based, if you're gonna be conservative in your theology, your theology is based on the Bible. And here's what the Bible is. Here's what the Bible is. God's thoughts about him and us. So what greater place, if the Bible is considered God's thoughts about him, I think he knows him more than you know him. God's thoughts about him and us. Well, isn't that just a bunch of authors? You can totally, you can totally just say, well, that was just authors. I want you to know that the word of God is the longest standing book of truth that you will ever see on this planet or ever exist. It has survived. It has survived millennia. It has survived people denouncing it, destroying it, denying it. Why? Because heaven and earth will pass away, the Bible says, but my word will never pass away. Because this isn't just a good book. It is the book of life. God's thoughts about him and us. So where do we get our conservative theology? It all starts with that foundation. So conservative theology is not a vast collection of strongly held assumptions and opinions. Conservative in theology means, this is, this is how Timber Creek approaches life. All right? Pause, time out. If already something I'm saying is... is um, like a racquetball hitting up against the wall of your heart. And it's like, 
Ba-dunk. And then something's going, whoa, 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 whoa. That's good. I'm glad you're here. Um, I want you to know where we stand. And if you don't stand where I stand, there's still a seat at the table here for you. There's still bread alive here for you. You, 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 you are not welcome in this church if only at first you believe exactly the way your pastor believes. But I want you to know our belief is not gonna bend. Our belief is not gonna bend. Our eternal truths are not going to acquiesce to cultural pressure. Whatever the culture says is not gonna be the guiding star in the sky. So what is our conservative theology? God's word is the final authority. God speaks to the deepest issues of life. It's not a manual about how to beat somebody at checkers. The greatest, deepest issues you'll ever face in your life are unpacked by the word of God. From love, leadership, marriage, divorce, woundedness, bitterness, forgiveness, identity, sexuality, life, when life starts, where life comes from, who's the giver and taker of life, what's most important, is there a heaven, is there a hell, how do you get there, how, how do you not go there, is all packed into God's word. It's the final authority of our life. If you're building a life on any other final authority, the way I feel, the way I raised, the way I was raised, the way this culture is, and I don't want to push against that. This just seems to make more sense to me. I want you to know God's word is the final authority for Timber Creek Church. It doesn't mean it has to be your final authority for you to join us and investigate the claims of Christ. But this is where we stand. This is the solid rock. All other ground is quicksand for you. All other ground besides the word of God is the final authority. Jesus is the answer. This is conservative. Jesus is the answer. I want you to know that it was followers of Jesus who shaped Western civilization. It was not legislation and laws. Followers of Jesus have made, have made more of an impact all across the world than any other followers of any other religion at any other time. Do followers of Jesus ever get it wrong and hold vastly strong opinions, assumptions, uh, experiences, and traditions? You bet. You bet. We have the capacity to get it wrong too. But Jesus is the answer to the question. God what do you say about me? What's my identity? See, identity politics has become a red, blue thing, a liberal conservative thing. It's not a red or blue thing, a liberal conservative thing. Identity politics, you were made in the image of God. That's what the word is. It's the final authority. Can you have questions and struggle and mental and emotional realities that you have faced to wonder what does this mean for me? Yeah, you can. We wanna walk with you but that's not gonna change our theology. You have a question about life and the sanctity of life and everybody, we have questions about what we should be able to choose and what we should not be able to choose. And we go to the, the word of God as the final answer. And he says, I, I formed you in your, my mother's, in your mother's womb. I knit you together before you even knew yourself. I've got designs on your life. The very first person 
that, 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 that was excited about the news of Jesus coming was a baby inside Elizabeth's womb that leapt. The authors say there was something exciting happening in the womb of, of, of Elizabeth. The word of God shows us there's something powerful happening behind the skin here. Jesus is the answer to every question. Not a political party, not a political platform. But what can happen is, as Christians on both sides of the aisle, we can take an ideal, we can take um, loving our neighbor and use that and uh, twist it to use love your neighbor to mean let us be liberal in, in everything we believe. And then we can take it and we can twist it and we can beat the junk out of people that have a different view than the Holy Scripture versus coming and talking things through. Jesus is the answer. It's to every single question you'll ever face. You can find it in the word. You know why people don't find it in the word? Because they don't know the word. Because we don't know the word. You're not saved by the works you do. You're not saved by your political party. You're not saved by your opinions and beliefs. You're saved by grace. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. You're saved by grace through faith, faith in Jesus, believing that his word is the final authority. And guess what? You are freed by truth. The Bible says the truth will set you free. And at Timber Creek Church, we're gonna lean. And bless God, thank God, we lean right. (laughs) No, no. We lean left. No. If we're gonna be conservative in our theology, it's not about leaning right or left. It's about leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledging him and he makes our path straight. Beyond any kind of affiliation that we would say we are followers of God and the aisle that we're gonna choose to walk down that we wish political candidates would cross the aisle and join hands, we're gonna walk down a narrow aisle. It's the narrow aisle of the word of God is the final foundation, not any kind of political party because if you put your faith in politics, politics change like sifting sand and your faith will change with it. It's gonna go up and down. We are a wonderful, beautiful nation that's got plenty of battle scars and wounds and some dark moments, but there have been some wonderful, incredible, I'm so, we, we are still the freest, most beautiful, life-giving nation the world has ever seen. We are. But if you, if you try to say, yeah, because bless God, the reds have got it, or bless God, the blues have got it, or bless God, the green. It's not about the Republican or the Democratic or the Libertarian Party or the Librarian Party or the Bachelor Party. And we all know Bachelor Party's got some issues, you know. God entrusted these truths. The word of God is the final authority. Jesus is the answer. We're saved by grace. We're freed by truth. We lean not on our own understanding. In all ways, we acknowledge him and he makes the path straight. So when the word of God is a straight and narrow path and your political affiliation or your personal opinions or your own traditions or even feelings that are deep, 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 deep inside of you, I want you to know that his truth is deeper still. And when they contradict and they go off that path, God's word says, come back, come back. Let's, let's come back to the narrow path right here. Trust me enough to be God. And here's why Jude said all this. He said, there's an issue. Some have sneaked in among you unnoticed. He was dealing with culture just like we do with culture. 
Have you ever had um, a baseball team? And you, all those kids and all those parents, they make up a baseball team. And there's a culture in the baseball team. And the coaches will set, set certain standards and guidelines. And, and, and that baseball team has a culture. My son's on a, on a couple of baseball teams and they have a culture. There's a certain expectation that we have a culture that we let the coaches coach because parents love to coach from the third row. You know, like, raise it up, scoot it back, move it forward. Don't be an idiot. Like, I mean, it's just, you know. Then the coach is saying, scoot it back, raise it forward. Don't be an idiot. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> There's a culture. There's a family culture um, where, where, where things happen and stuff can kind of come in unnoticed. So when three people off the baseball team come off and three new people come on, don't think that that doesn't change the baseball culture because families have different culture. So it adds, you ever been in a pool? You ever had a swimming pool or been in a swimming pool? If you let it sit for a while, it gets cloudy. You know why? Because the culture of that pool changes, especially when you have kids over swimming in it. They pee in the pool. And don't you lie, adults. You know you like to pee in the pool too. Don't even lie. You're like, oh, there's plenty of chlorine. It'll take care of it. What I'm trying to say is um, all of you are peeing in the Timber Creek pool. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like we're all peeing in the pool together. And it's warm <laughs> and the water's nice. But here's what had happened with Jude's, with, with, with Jude's friends. In the church, in the group of people, people had come in and started adding their own things. Some had come in and, and snuck among them unnoticed. I don't think they were intentional in their sneaking. I think just things happen. And just unintentionally, just culture began to change. And here's what he defines as that, that issue. They had perverted the message of God's grace into a license to commit immorality. So they had taken advantage of saved by grace to live however the heck they want. And they turned against our only absolute master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is grace, and we're saved by grace. But grace that gets twisted diminishes the authority and the absolute godness of God. And I want to say to you and to me and to everybody watching online, this is the state of our union. It does not matter what biblical principles things are founded on. It's where we find ourselves right now. It's not about being founded. It's where we find ourselves. The second president of the United States who helped uh, craft the, the, the final pages of the uh, Declaration of Independence, the, the, the first nine amendments of the, the Bill of Rights, um, John Adams. John Adams, the second president of the United States, Here's what he said about what would be considered one of the most precious documents in American history, the Constitution. John Adams, president, who helped amend the Constitution with the first nine amendments, here's what he said. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. See, they build together, they put together the Bill of Rights, but, but here's my question. Why is there no bill of responsibility? There's a bill of rights. You have rights, I have rights. And when your rights and my rights collide, the laws decide. 
But we don't have a bill of responsibility. Why? Because you can't legislate responsibility. You can legislate, you can legislate, you can make a law that punishes irresponsibility, but you cannot make a law that demands responsibility. That is living above the law. That's living at a higher standard. Here's what laws do. Laws give you the minimum thing and don't even think that you haven't lived that way too. Your HOA law, whatever you can get by with. Traffic laws, whatever you can get by with. How fast can I go? What's the speed limit? That's the minimum, okay? How fast can I go past that speed limit without getting caught? Okay, how fast can I go past that speed limit without getting caught and not, but then how fast can I go past the speed limit and get caught, but just get a warning? How fast can I go past the speed limit, get stopped and get a ticket, but not go to jail? How fast can I go past the speed limit and get stopped, get a ticket, go to jail, but not stay in jail? Like we go to the minimum effort. Laws will never inspire you. Laws do not build virtue in you. Laws do not make, laws demand the minimum requirement. If you don't reach it, you're out. You are punished for your irresponsibility. So we're, we, we're, we, we love the Bill of Rights, but we need some bills of responsibility. Come on, parents, parents, you gonna give some rights to your children, but rights without responsibility equals chaos. Of course you can play Xbox. Clean your room first, responsibility. Then you walk in, they're playing Xbox, the room isn't clean. Then you punish them for not following the minimum requirement. Look, traffic laws will not make you a courteous driver <laughs> because it's a responsibility, not a law. A marriage license will not make you a great spouse. It'll make you married, but it won't make you a great spouse. Tax laws will not make you a generous giver. <laughs> they will make you a giver, <laughs> but not a generous giver. Because generosity comes from a heart. It doesn't come from an amount. Do you know that you have the right to sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want, as long as it's two consenting adults? You have that right. That, there's no law that will guarantee your fidelity and your marital faithfulness. You choose that. Law gives us the minimum requirement. There was this assumption made by our forefathers, this assumption that for generation to generation to generation, they were so founded, 93% of them professing Orthodox Christ followers, 93% of our founding fathers. There was this, this assumption that everybody would be Christ followers and that we would always, duh, we would always treat one another. So when rights and rights, when we lose our moral ground, when we lose the moral and religious people, we have to run by laws at the minimum requirement. And now it's like, I need a law and you need a law because I have my rights and you have your rights. And now courts are deciding things that really the intention was that we would live at a higher level, a higher responsibility beyond any kind of laws. That our greatest commitment would not be to a flag, but to faith in Christ. Our constitution was made only for a moral religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other, our second president of the United States. It's inadequate. 
So we got to keep adding laws and laws and laws. And we're trying to live by laws. We're, we're fighting for our rights. We're fighting for our rights. And I'm telling you, we need to be fighting as Christians for our responsibilities. Over time, our nation has decoupled from divine and moral absolutes. Over time, we have drifted and decoupled from divine and moral absolutes. An absolute is it's not changing. Moral, it's the right thing or it's the wrong thing. Divine, God-given. God-given rights and wrongs that do not change. And here's what it's caused. Here's what it's caused. Maybe you've experienced this. Division. It's caused division. And now we got this side and we got that side. And it can be red and blue or any other color in between. We have division. Like we've not, and it only is getting stronger and stronger and wider and wider. Instead of having an aisle in the political landscape, we have an ocean in the middle of the political landscape. Division that is creating unbelievable tension and hostility outside of political talk. And here's what's happening. Friends, we sit in church with feel like strangers and loved ones across dinner tables feel like enemies. And every sensational headline turns Facebook feeds from vacation snapshots, hashtag Cancun, to nasty memes and hateful rants. And someone who would give you the shirt off their back if they really knew you and you really knew them, you're yelling at the top of your thumbs on Facebook, you're what's wrong with America. And we're fighting with those we truly love and we're arguing with those we barely know. And it is spiritually damaging to your soul and is equally damaging to our witness. And I've just come today with a message I believe from God to tell you in love to the people I love. Vigorously defend and contend for the beliefs that we cherish. And it's not gonna be on just this thing that we call liberty life and the pursuit of happiness. It's gonna be based on the theology that God's word is final, that Jesus is the answer, that the only way we're saved is by him and the only way we're freed is by his truth. So what does defending and contending look like in a deeply divided and contentious culture? It looks like a, it looks like, here's what I think it looks like. What it looks like right now, I'm not saying it should look like this. What it looks like is Give, give, me, give me the needle of MSNBC. Give me the needle of Fox News. I gotta have my hit today. Give me more, 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 more information. So I, so not, not so I can contend and defend truth, but so I can contend and defend the stuff that I feel real strongly about. What does it look like? Defending and contending. Well, you got two ways. You got the way of the world. And I don't even have to teach you that. <laughs> you learn that naturally and so do I, because we're human, we're, we are worldly. We are in the world, but as Christ followers, we are still in the world, but not of the world. So you got the way of the world and you got the way of the word. I wanna invite all of us to the best of our ability, as much as it depends on God's grace in your life and his strength, because your strength won't do it on your own, to defend and contend the way the word says defend and contend. But the, like the Bible though, you know, we also gotta fight for our rights, right? We also gotta like, we also stand up, right? And we're afraid, we're afraid that God won't be enough. We are afraid that, 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 that trusting in God won't be enough. I gotta trust in myself. 
I gotta stand, I gotta say something. If I don't say something, if I, if, if I don't add my comment in the other 147,000 comments in here, this thing is gonna shift. But if I will just say, uh-uh, that's not the way my Bible reads, that all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh my God. Pew Research conducted a survey recently. They gave a list of 10 questions and they asked the question, is this fact or opinion? Is this fact or opinion? They surveyed 10,000 people. 66% could not differentiate the difference between a fact and an opinion. The way of the world is Whatever seems right to me is what's right. But the Bible says, whatever may seem right to man leads to death. So what is the way of the word? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God didn't save us from heaven. He left heaven to earth. His son, Jesus Christ, came from heaven to earth and he became the word. The word of God, Jesus, became, the word became flesh. So that means if you're gonna follow the word of God, if you will follow Jesus, he fulfilled all the word. He fulfilled all the law. If you follow Jesus, you will follow in his footsteps the way he's designed for you to live. So if Jesus says this is who you are, then that's who you are following it. If this is what Jesus says about marriage, that's the way marriage should be. If this is what Jesus says about life, this is what Jesus says about identity. If this is what Jesus says about commerce, if this is what Jesus says about economy, if this is what Jesus says about government, if this is what Jesus says about heaven, if this is what Jesus says about hell, if this is what Jesus says about anything. That's the way we walk because the word became flesh. And if you want to live by the world, you can. As a matter of fact, you're still welcome in this church. If you want to walk out the doors today and live however you want, you can. Just know there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time where a church anyone can come to, which is our core value. And we will not violate that value. We're a church anyone can come to. But if your, if your understanding of, of who God is and what we believe God's word to say, if that starts coming into contact, I want you to know it's a church anyone can come to, but it's not a church everyone will stay. Because there will be times where you and me are confronted with the truth of God's word and it demands that one of us change. And let me tell you, Timber Creek, here's the one that's not gonna change. The word of God. But all of us, God invites us to the unchanging God who will change you from the inside out. Ah, I got so much to preach, let me just hurry up and I'll be done. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. That means the full weight of who he is. And how does he show the full weight of who he is? He came from the father full of what? And what? So say it, grace and, grace and, say grace, say truth, say Bobby. Okay, no, just kidding, okay. Grace and truth, truth and grace. He came full, 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 not halfway and halfway. He's not an Arnold Palmer kind of grace and truth. 100% truth, 100% grace, that's who Jesus is. If you wanna live like 
like the word, if you wanna live according to the word and respond, what does defending and contending look like in a deeply divided and contentious culture? It looks just like Jesus would defend and contend in a divided and contentious culture in which he was born and was raised and was perfect and died and rose again. His nation and stuff was divided too. So what does it look like? It looks like a full measure, not a half measure, not when you feel like it, not just around your echo chambers. It looks like a life that is lived with a full measure of grace and truth to those that need grace and truth, including yourself. Churches, even churches have become disjointed and lost focus. And as long as the leadership that is in leadership here at Timber Creek, our focus is gonna be full of grace and full of truth. John goes on to say, out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. So Jesus came, grace wasn't good enough. It was a 2.0. It was an iOS software update to iOS 15 for him. It was grace in place of grace. There needed to be a 2.0. So Jesus came. What was the 1.0? What was the grace already given? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says it right here. You ought to know the Bible. It's the foundation. It's the final authority for our life. He says, look, for the law was given through Moses. There was a certain grace given in the law, but it was the minimum requirement. The nation of Israel is no different than the nation of America, than, than these United States. They want God and then they drift from their moral and divine absolutes. <laughs> then they want God and they drift from their moral and divine absolutes. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, the, the right way, the full grace came through Jesus Christ. So here's the way of Jesus. Here's the way of the world. The way of Jesus, 100% grace and 100% truth. Guess what? You can't be 100% grace and 100% truth. So you have to rely on Jesus to be 100% grace and 100% truth because you can't be all things to all people in perfection. In perfection. But you can be all things to all people when Jesus perfects you by his grace and truth. So the way of Jesus is full of grace, full of truth. Here's the way of the world. Instead of grace and truth, here's what the world wants to provide you and me. Outrage and cancel culture. And instead of grace, we're out, we cancel anybody who has a different opinion than me. Instead of truth, it's moral relativism. Here's what's crazy about it. We have lost our absolute truth, our absolute moorings. And now we want to, we, 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 we live in a world that's saying there is no absolute truth. What's your truth is my truth. You can, you can have your thing and I can have my thing just as long as I don't hurt you and you don't hurt me. But the, but the truth is, then, then we say um, there is no absolutes unless you absolutely disagree with me, then you are absolutely wrong and you need to absolutely be canceled. Your truth can be your truth. Let my truth be, like, let me speak my truth. Let me speak and live my truth until you speak and leave, live your truth and you disagree with me so your truth can't stand. That's moral relativism. Hey, your truth is my truth. Like your TV's my TV. One of our staff members had a guy walk in, take his TV the other day. He wasn't there. <laughs> Would have been a different story. Just took his TV. Some reason he thought, you know what, I'm... I'm gonna not follow the law and I'm not gonna live above the law. Certainly I'm gonna go under the law and I'm gonna steal a TV. Just busted in, stole the TV. Like what's truth for him is not truth. The way he's living his life is not the way to live life. Look, this is not a new thing, moral relativism. The very first thing out of the devil's mouth to Adam and Eve, God says, here's absolute truth. 
eat every fruit of every tree except this one. Do not eat that fruit. Done, set it, case settled. Devil comes in and says, did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat the truth? I mean, come on. Is that really? I mean, that's his truth, but is that your truth? I mean, you should speak your truth. Whatever you feel like, you should live that way. It's no secret to Jesus. He is beaten within an inch of his life, crown of thorns on his head, blood dripping down his cheeks. He's standing before in a bloody mess in front of Pilate, the prefect of Rome. Pilate says, so you're a king? Jesus responded, actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. He's saying, I'm not about a kingdom. In fact, what he says earlier, he says, if I were about a kingdom, my followers would come in and take me away by force. Notice that they didn't do that. Why? Because there was, that was the way the world would do it. The world would take it by force. No, we gotta fight for our right. Jesus said, if this were my kingdom, oh yeah, you'd be gone, sport. He said, no, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't come to build up a throne here. I got a whole different thing. I came, look, I was born and came into the world. This is what Jesus himself, I was born for this reason, to testify to the truth. When Jesus speaks, it is absolute truth. But even in that moment, guess what Pilate's response is? What's truth? What is truth? Friends, as we wrap up today, you can have a vast collection of strongly held emotions and experiences and assumptions and opinions and party affiliations. You cannot have your own truth. You cannot have your own truth. So here's what you do about it. Here's what you do about that. Number one, find truth even if it takes hard work. Do not let truth just be presented to you by the next algorithm on Facebook. What you search for on Google affects what you see. What you search for on Facebook and the stuff you click on, know that they are not giving you a multifaceted world and biblical opinion about things. Your algorithms are only gonna bring you back. This is the way it works. It's gonna bring you back just for you to be a bigger, bigger divided echo chamber. I'm telling you, look at some of the most passionate people on Facebook. If they have 157 comments, it's not, it's, if they have 150 comments, it's not like 75 of them are, yes, that's good, I totally believe you. And 75 are there, I'd like to discuss this because I'm not for sure if I agree with your opinion. It is usually 99%, woo, yeah, get them. Why is that? Why is that? Because face, Facebook is designed that way. You are not designed that way. Find truth, even if it takes hard work. Guess what hard work is? Getting up and opening the Bible and like, I don't know reading it. Start there. And it's not about having to have 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 20 minutes. Start somewhere. Start with the book of Jude. And find truth, even if it takes hard work. I can promise you, truth has a name. Before you could ever go and find it, it's already found you. Open your eyes to Jesus. Proverbs 18, the first to speak in court sounds right. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. We ought to do that until the cross-examination begins. Be someone who cross-examines stuff. 
Mom and dad, grandpa and grandma were blue. Mom and dad are blue. I'm gonna be blue too. Grandpa and grandma were red. I mean, I remember when my dad, I was nine years old. We were in at Christmas in Arkansas and my grandpa Tate, who had just had open heart surgery, he's not, it was, it was interesting because he wasn't wearing a shirt and he had the big old stitches like all the way down. It was long, it was, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. And, and, and uh, my dad's talking to him and they start talking about politics and grandpa, Papa Tate starts going like this. Oh God, oh God. I never thought I'd lived the day to see somebody who's not part of my party be in this family. Help me, help me God. He died that night. No, I'm kidding, he didn't, he didn't. Proverbs 18, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. It's a fool. Next. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. If you want better insight and discernment and are searching for them as you would for lost money or hidden treasure, then wisdom will be given you and knowledge of God himself. And I want you to know the Bible is the most valuable treasure that isn't even hidden. It's at your disposal. Take it, find it, live by it. Number two, love and obey truth more than your feelings or opinions. You gotta love it and obey it. Listen, truth, finding truth and living by truth is not about obeying truth first. It's about loving the truth more than you love your feelings, more than you love your emotions, more than you love that, that excitement that comes from that thing that, that nobody else knows. Love the truth. I don't think people love to hurt their spouses by doing things that are sinful. They just don't love the truth that purity brings. They don't love the truth of for better or for worse, more than they love what they're getting out of that thing that's gonna hurt them. Bible says people rejected the love of the truth that would lead them to being saved. If you don't find a love for the truth, it will be really hard for you to ever understand what being saved is all about. But Peter goes on to say, because of your obedience to the truth, you've purified your very souls and this empowers you to be full of love. But, but like the truth of God's scripture goes against some people that I love a lot and that I love them so much, but they live a life that isn't, isn't the way the, the, the Bible says and I don't wanna scare them off. I want you to know that loving and obeying the truth will give you, if you are not just full of truth and not full of grace, let's do a real quick poll real quick, okay? Let's be honest, let's just be honest. How many of you, if you were to consider Team Grace, or, or no, no, let me say this, Team Grace. How many of you'd say if you're Team Grace or Team Truth, you'd be more on the Team Grace side? Like that's just kind of how I'm wired, okay? How many of you'd say I'm more, I'm more Team Truth? How many of you raise your hand? Okay, this happened exactly, this happened exactly first service. Team Grace are like, mm, I don't want to offend anybody by raising my hand. I don't want to feel a little awkward here. So. But then Team Truth's like, I'm Team Truth. I'm Team Truth right here, right here. I believe it. Because of your obedience to truth, you've purified your very souls and this empowers you to be full of love. So express this sincere love toward one another passionately and with a pure heart. People are expressing their love of God passionately, but not with a pure heart. 
They are expressing their passion about a certain political thing that they can find a scripture to back them up with and they're doing it with an impure motive. Number three, contend for the truth with compassion and concern. If you're gonna contend, do it right hand and left hand. Float like a butterfly, sting like Jesus. At the end of Jude, here's what Jude says. Help me out, Cody, come on. Oh, there you are right there, look at that. (laughs) Keep being compassionate to those who still have doubts. Be merciful over and over to them. Look at me, everybody. If anything I've said has rubbed you the wrong way, I, I, I want you to know, number one, I need to search and make sure that my motives are pure. I'm trying to the best of my ability to preach from the perspective of the word of God is the moral compass for everything you'll find and everything you'll do and everything you'll love and everything you'll live out in life. And there are, I know, challenges to that. Guess what? It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to struggle. That's why Jesus gave you free will. He gave you free will. And I want you, this is a safe place where you can have those struggles. Just know that when we all struggle, the only anchor is God's word. Keep being compassionate to those who have doubts. Be merciful over and over, but always couple your mercy with the fear of God. Do you know what that is? Mercy and compassion, that's being full of grace. But couple it with truth. And then you know what you do? You don't keep it to yourself. As a matter of fact, Timber Creek is all about we won't keep this to ourselves. Part of our At The Movie series, it is fun. It is low-hanging fruit. It is not spiritually deep. Guess what? Here's what's spiritually deep about At The Movies. Christians actually, you ought to invite someone to church. That's one of the deepest things you could ever do. Invite someone to church, like actually be someone who invites people to church. That is a deep thing. I'm not going to deep. I don't know what we're doing. We'll watch a movie during a church. We're not watching a movie. It's a biblical truth. You just got to come and check it out. But people are going to get saved in at the movies. And the deepest, most mature thing you could do is invite someone to church. Just invite them. We'll have fun. We're going to eat popcorn in the sanctuary. I know. And some of you are like, oh, that goes against my assumptions and my opinions and my experiences and my traditions. Get over it. Let's fight over the word of God as our final authority, whether or not we can do it at the movie series or not. How about it, everybody? Does that sound good to you? I guess not. Sound good to you, Nagadoches? I might be with you guys next week. Number four, share the truth. Share the truth. Do not keep it to yourself. And I end with this scripture. The apostle Paul encourages you and me. He is writing this in prison. Paul is in prison for contending and defending his faith. The beliefs he cherished that were the eternal truths of God. And here's what Paul says. Live a cheerful life without complaining or division among ourselves. Watch, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. 
holding out the words of eternal life. I love that word, eternal life, holding it out. The only way someone can take it out of your hands is if you're close enough to them to let them see it and hold it for themselves. God never intended you to live in a culture that doesn't need you. So, the world wants you to be up in arms and yelling and dividing, dividing, and dividing, and dividing, and dividing. Jesus says, I'm full of grace and truth, be like me. So, the next time you want to fire off a comment, the next time you wanna throw your weight around, the next time you wanna get your jab in, the next time you wanna get all upset, the next time you're gonna make your own opinions, remember, Jesus, you were full of truth and grace for me. May I be full of grace and truth for others. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Grace and truth together is medicine. Is medicine. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Jesus, may we receive the medicine from you, grace and truth. May we live by it, contend for it, and share it. May it be what drives us, your word. God, there's a lot of opinions that we can keep, stuff that we can hold dear, things that we can cherish, but Lord, let us not cherish all that more than your holy scripture. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody everywhere said amen.